G'day trail runners. Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience with Ashley Drew and Daniel Ferugia. Put your headphones on, put your shoes on, and let's go running. G'day trail runners. Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience. I'm Daniel and I'm joined as always by Ashley Drew. How are you going, Ash? I am doing well, doing well. Excellent. I'm, uh, as you just said, you just got to wake yourself up because you're only on your second coffee. I'm on my third. Yeah. I was very, I was, I was listening to the news this morning and, you know, there's a, there's another study out, some 300,000 people in a study of uh, the consumption of coffee and how good or bad it is for you. And so if you uh, consume excessive amounts of coffee, then uh, it's not good for you. Apparently, it causes uh, osteoporosis uh, and really? a few other and if, yeah, and a few other issues. And I was waiting for the punchline, which was what's excess coffee? And they said beyond six espresso shots. At which point I went, yeah, no problem, I'm good. Wow. <laughs> I, I can I can double my coffee intake per day, and I'll and I'm still I'm still six. in that that go. Six so, shots yeah. of espresso. Okay. I, yeah, I usually, I think I top out usually about four cups a day, which is, it's probably not a healthy thing. I don't have many vices aside from running and coffee. I don't drink, don't do drugs, you know? So got to have something, don't we, Ashley? Got to That's have, exactly right. I, I have yeah. my coffee. I have my running. Uh, yeah. I've got to, I, ha, I have plenty of uh, legal drugs, obviously, with having uh, stage four cancer. <laughs> but exactly. uh, yeah. I, I avoid, I honestly avoid those like the plague. I remember being um, good, good in hospital phrase, yeah. and um, they come around every couple of hours and offer you more painkillers and I just kept refusing them. And and the nurse comes around and says, look, you've got to start taking these. You'll feel better for it. And I went, those things are horrible. Like they're just really bad for you. And she goes, yeah, but we want you to get better. And I went, I've got stage four cancer. There is no getting better. It's just a matter of how much time I spend in here and how much time I spend outdoors. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you, um, anyway, she, she did convince me to take him on that particular round. Yeah. So, good. Yes. Um, well, I'm glad that you, um, you're on your third coffee because you've been out running today. I know. I have been uh, out running today. Yeah, I have not had a chance to get out for my run yet, but um, so we're very, we've got a really exciting guest today, so we don't want to hold um, the listeners up too much. No. And uh, so I'm just wanting to know, how your running's going, and then we'll talk about my running, and then we're going to jump into our awesome guest, who is, um, yeah, which we pre-recorded, but it's a great one. So tell me about your running lately. So running lately has been good for me. I, um, I'm comfortably ticking over the sort of kilometres that I would like to be ticking over at this point uh, in preparation for a end-of-year racing season, hopefully coming about. Yep. Uh, which we've been working on on our other podcast, hence why this one's a little bit behind at the moment. Yes. So our other podcast, the Coaching Roundtable, is now a standalone podcast, whereas we were sharing it with this platform previously. Correct. So, yeah, yeah so I, I ran beautiful morning here in uh, southeast Queensland, cold but sunny, and yep. so a very comfortable 23Ks running in the sun. It was uh, luxurious, actually. Lovely. And um, how about yourself? Yeah, no, look, running has been different for me the last, obviously during the last few months, but um, the last... During the coronavirus that we now live in? I know, you've coined, Ashley's coined a term, 
the coronaverse. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, but this is non-fiction, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it is non-fiction. I haven't developed superpowers, that's for sure. Um, I think I think plenty of people would disagree with you, Ashley. I'd say you <laughs> you do have uh, some some superpowers there. Um, but now my running has been pretty good. It, uh, oh, I actually feel really, really fit, even though I have broken one of my cardinal rules, and, then, and that is I've not been very consistent. And that's to do with the circumstances I um, so of, of everything that's going on with this uh, coronavirus. So I went for a few weeks where my mileage was super low, like because just with, with life and the children being around a lot more, I was lucky to break 50 kilometers. And then so I, a few weeks ago, as you know, I set myself a goal of just running. I thought I could run a half marathon every day for seven days. And I thought I'll give it a crack. And it was I thought it would smash me, but it was nowhere near as hard as I expected. And my goal was to do each of them in under two hours, which I did quite comfortably. Um, and by the by the seventh one, I felt like I could have gone further and faster. So that's a good place to be. No, and I, and then the week after that, I had a very low mileage week. So I went from 100 and, almost 150 kilometers for that week. And then the following week, I didn't run much at all, just because, again, the circumstances of life. But then this week I've been running a bit more and I feel really good. Like I feel, I feel fast. So I'm happy with that. I'm like, I'm getting the mileage back after doing a 150 K week. It was actually nowhere near as hard as I thought. It just, it's made me think maybe I could be getting, pushing that sort of mileage on a more regular basis going forward. So um, I like structure of, to my training. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. lots of road, a little bit of trail. I'm getting more and more into the trail as restrictions ease, and um, so yeah, so that so all I'm overall I'm pretty happy and I'm I'm excited. I'd like to build up to running to trying one of your tricks, and I'd like to do a marathon a day for a week in the near future. So that's that's my on my agenda, and possibly um, some other big things which I don't really want to talk about just yet, but yeah, risk making I'm setting up my goals a bit more you know with the thing um some things in mind but i do i feel faster on the flats all this road running has made me feel quite fast on the flat and so that's good um so yeah and you're obviously building up an enormous aerobic base with the huge mileage that you're doing mate yeah look i'm comfortably laying a few kilometers down yeah um and i am i am literally repeating the uh the exact same 1.2 kilometer course over and over and over. Yes. And uh, I think I have run around the block probably more than anyone's ever driven it in their entire life, including people who have lived here for 20 years. So, um, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it has been a mental game. Yeah, I bet. And I am very much enjoying the mental game. And it is amazing, too. Just how you start to notice the slightest little changes in things um, and how you can play with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've got to say that I, I'm really enjoying the mental struggle and hating it at the same time. Yeah. Um, I am absolutely looking forward to getting back onto the trail. And, and I had someone yesterday say to me just via messenger, hey, look, you know, restrictions have eased up why haven't you moved back to the trails and the fact is look 
restrictions you have eased up. You want to give it a bit more time. Yeah. I have a compromised immune system. Yeah. And uh, if you listen a little bit deeper to the news, it is if you have any sort of compromised immune system, please stay home still. So yeah. I am doing my best to listen to that advice yeah. um, and waiting for all those people who are rushing out to visit the trails to back off a little bit and then they'll be a little bit more clear and I can someone else is out there. And I think um... – yeah, and I think that you're doing the right thing. And I, and to be honest, it won't be long before you'll be able to get back out on the trails at the least. If things are, no. yeah, and I think I think you're just giving it a little bit of extra time, you know. And so, um, which is wise. And yeah, and you're not going to know yourself when you find, when you start running on a different section of road, even. <laughs> you know, like, well, no, know. it's going to feel really weird. You feel like you're breaking some kind of law, because yeah, if you look on Ashley's Strava. Um, he's done it's like groundhog day every day it is groundhog day yeah and it's like you've got like a pretty decent loop you've you've um they should rename that block after you i think when this is all said well i I can i can tell you that two other people who live on the block have started running and i have had you know a quick chat to them and a shout out to trina and and i'm sorry i don't know the other guy's name um but trina Trina specifically said, you running around the block so much every day, I have decided to become a runner again. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, so I ran with her on a shorter block the other day, which was her longest run. So it was probably two and a half kilometres that apparently she'd done in like 15 years. So, I mean, that was excellent. Yeah, it is. Well done. Look at that. Inspiration in your neighbourhood. In your neighbourhood. Uh, yeah. community it's it's your tribe effectively even though you don't it know really oh look i've had some wonderful experiences not even just with running i mean this whole coronavirus as you put it has brought out some fantastic things as well like we had a um a neighbor i'm not sure if i've shared this on the podcast but our, our neighbor who we have hardly ever spoken to this lady um she works at the bakery down the road oh yes i, you, I don't think we shared it on this one but yes yeah keep going. and just the fact that she um and so she started um, bringing over like the the leftover bakery goods, you know. So um, um, so like she'd knock on our door. One day I came home and there was a bag full of like bread and like beautiful bread that was just was baked that day and like donuts and all this stuff. And the kids think it's the most amazing thing ever. It's just stuff that was probably going to get chucked out at the end of the day. And it was just really lovely that she did that without asking. And she just knows that we've got kids and. And um, yeah, so that I hope stuff like that stays around. Yeah, right? I have I have witnessed immense kindness. Yeah, um, which is always wonderful to see. Every time there is any sort of uh, trouble in the community, I, I remember in the 2011 floods, um, like literally swimming to people's houses across roads. Um, yeah. And you know to check that people were right, etc. This is just a much bigger worldwide crisis and and in australia we really do come together beautifully um and the best comes out in people and we've got to focus on that and um i think it's very easy to i mean there is a lot of negativity floating around and we don't want to be negative we and that's why i mean what this podcast and whatever other podcasts we are doing including the coaching roundtable podcast i want it to be sort of a beacon of uh of positivity for everyone who's out there that, you know, like we're, we're all struggling 
in different ways and you know nothing feels the same you know and and so but just you come on here and this is a, a happy place so with the headphones on or however if you're out running listening to ashley and i talk you know hopefully it makes you feel connected and um like we're all in this together i know we hear that a lot but you know this is how we can connect and this is what i mean doing this podcast has kept me sane to an extent you know like because it's it's hard sometimes and so yeah and speaking of things that are um uh really great this is a terrible segue but uh <laughs> terrible segue into the episode which is we spoke with uh with the legendary Bo miles and i was uh, about to call him mr bean but I, i'd probably get in trouble for proprietary well, thing there but uh he is Bo, a human being Bo, if you haven't watched his video recently ate his body weight in beans yeah which we talk so. about and um and if you and after you listen to this podcast go and watch all his videos he does some he does a whole bunch of different types of videos if you've if this is the first time you've heard about Bo miles you're in for a treat because he's um he's an entertaining lad he's very personable very intelligent and he um he's very good at I like his self-deprecating humor, you know, like I think that he, he really, yeah, he, he's very good at looking at himself and making fun of himself. And yeah, no, it was a very easy conversation. We pre-recorded this, obviously we've, rec- and um, I actually have to make a correction because I know I'm going to get picked up for this because I made a mistake in the podcast. Um, and this is not, not a spoiler as such, but we were talking at one point and it'll come up in the podcast where we're discussing, the Heisen Trail and FKTs, and we talked about because the Heisen Trail is a long-distance trail in South Australia. It goes for 1,200 kilometres, and and we talked about Richard Bowles who ran it, and I got, I think I got the time. Richard Bowles set the record at 14 days and eight hours. Okay, so I had to look it up. And Dave Turnbull, who's a local guy um, who I know quite well, he did it. He beat it by nearly 24 hours. He did it in 13 days and 16 hours. So just for for any of the people who are sticklers on getting the fact right, I am um, just wanted to let you know that that's – I did check it. And I do make mistakes sometimes. I've made – it's hard to believe, isn't it? I make mistakes. I, I, <laughs> I make mistakes constantly. Every so yeah. often I get a fact right. So, it's, yeah. It's no, we're good. Well, anyway, so I guess, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. We'll, we, um, Ashley and I have been very busy with the Coaching Roundtable podcast, which is out weekly. And so if you haven't checked that one out, definitely check it out. And um, it's not quite available on all the platforms yet, but it is available. You can find it on Anchor, on Spotify. And you if it's not available on Apple yet, hopefully within the week, it'll be available on Apple Podcasts. And uh, what do you listen to your podcasts on, Ashley? What, what uh, I, I mostly listen on uh, Apple, to be quite honest. But yeah. I've recently just uploaded Spotify, uh, and I'm figuring that out. Yeah, I, I actually listen to uh, on, listen on Spotify to a lot of even though we do we release this on Anchor, and Anchor's great, but um, it's great for producing the podcast. But I find that that Spotify is better for listening. But you know, so everyone has their own preferences. So we will make all those, everything available on as many podcast platforms as we can. All right. I guess that's it. Enjoy listening to Bo. Excellent. Excellent.
listening to this any time of day so we'll just say hello everybody this is the trail runners experience and we have uh my co-host daniel and myself ashley and our special guest today is dr bo miles welcome doc greetings g'day fellas good morning good afternoon good evening (laughs) (laughs) yes that's exactly it's it is like that when you uh because we end up with people all around the world who send us messages and um, goodness knows what time of day they're actually listening to us. But uh, I've had it a couple of times where it's been 3 a.m. in the morning and I've been getting ready to go for a run and I've had someone message me from the U.S. say, oh, what's happening? And it's like it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Anyway. Isn't it? I'm a, as a YouTuber, um, it's and it's a bit like I suppose if you're an alcoholic, you're always thinking, oh, where can I, you know, it, it's, it's always midday somewhere, right, where you can have a beer. So that yes. that old saying, it's a bit like that with YouTube in that I have um, a much bigger Northern Hemisphere audience, so I kind of hang out for it to be there, you know, midday or 7 p.m. or whatever, because I see uh, I see it spike in the dead of the night here in Australia. So because someone else is watching, it's, it's cool. There's always yeah. always someone watching or listening. It's great, yeah. this global world. This global world is pretty amazing for that, that's for sure. Actually, all of your adventures that I have watched on YouTube, and I, and I believe that I've watched all of your videos now as I've been trying to get through the uh, quite extensive library that you have before we did this interview, have you done anything in the Northern Hemisphere? Because everything seems to be Southern Hemisphere based. That's a good point. I was supposed to be in the States now. Uh, I was supposed to be there for sort of an eight-week thing or a six-week thing to film a whole bunch of things and come back and make them into films. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a Scottish paddle trip that hasn't seen the light of day yet, and I'm not sure if it will. It was I, I narrated it really poorly on site. It's got some beautiful footage, but um, it's lacking a story in a sense. And I don't like to just ply over a voiceover with pretty footage. It becomes too much of a, a think tank or a highlights reel, and I'm not really into that. But um, you know what? You, you might have just stumbled upon something. I don't think there is anything north of the equator uh, currently on my YouTube channel. So, yeah, good, good pick up. <laughs> there you go. There we um, go. So the, the, the audience in the Northern Hemisphere could grow massively yet when you when we finally – once we're out of the uh, coronaverse and uh, able to commute again overseas? Well, actually, I, th- I think already it's trumped by the Northern Hemisphere, and that's a population thing too, you know. Uh, I don't know what the stats are on north of the equator as, as far as world population, but I would just hazard a guess that it's probably five of the eight billion on the planet. So they're a bit heavier than us, uh, bloody a lot more landmass on the Northern Hemisphere, and um yeah i look forward to really delving into some stuff in the northern hemisphere because it really isn't my domain and in fact i've got a great sense of direction and this is i'm just going off on a tangent here fellas but um good (laughs) i I have a pretty good sense of direction here in the southern hemisphere based on where the sun is you know i can feel it out throughout the day of being on my right cheek or you know giving me a shadow in a particular direction where i go to the northern hemisphere and i am i am useless at everything because of the tilt you know, everything's southern facing as opposed to here being northern facing. And so um, in terms of where the sun is and the shadow is, 
you know, if you're to buy a house here, you're looking for a southern aspect. Here, you're looking for a northern one. So, um, yeah, I, I'm hopeless at navigating in the northern hemisphere. There's my fun fact. <laughs> well, you seem like a kind of person. I mean, I know this. You like an experiment, and you like to experiment on yourself. And so, throwing yourself into an environment where your your natural sense of direction is turned on its head almost literally yeah it sounds like a good experiment like getting as lost as possible <laughs> yeah well i remember um my wife and i went to paris a few years ago after a work gig i'd done in scotland and um it doesn't seem to you know in scotland it was all very well because i had this you know you know i paddled the outer hebrides and i paddled north to south and it's f- fairly basic when you've got this big landmass on your right hand side and, and that's just it it becomes your thing but in Paris and amongst the streets where you've got eight and ten story buildings all the time and it blocks the sun out, I, you know, I remember we, we walked everywhere, right? And it's midsummer and I and I just got totally turned around and I felt like a real goose, you know, and it was I was totally exposed and I just said to Helen, Dale, you've got this. You know, I gave her the map and said, Get me home. Because <laughs> uh, I felt really out of my depth in a sense, you know, and it felt kind of good. It felt edgy that I was getting lost in a city and usually I'd be able to find my way home again. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an awakening. A disconnection from the, um, the natural world, do you think, was part of that? Uh, a bit of that and a bit blase. And I was probably, you know, I'd had a skin full of red wine the entire time. So I was half hung over the entire <laughs> But... <laughs> But either way, Helen's always sharper. She never drinks as much as me, and she's just sharper generally in life. So um, I was happy to just hand over the reins. Fantastic. Now, sorry, Ash, I, ju- I keep jumping in, but I want to get to something that's big. Now, legend has it that you're, speaking of your wife, Helen, that, you are, that you, you've just become parents. Is this correct? Yeah, she's uh, nudging seven months old, little May. She's uh, in the background. I can hear her um, doing something out there. She's... she's um, yeah, and look, we all say it's a bit cliche. You're both parent. Are you a parent too, yeah. Daniel? Yeah, I've got three children myself. So yeah. So you got and, three uh, each. Is that right? Three each. That's three each. Yeah. yeah, three each. Yeah. Well, I've got catching up to do, and and I and you two huh. would know way better than me that um how our life has been reinvented, and and it's it's so much better. You know, I have um. A baby, I, I suppose my ego has been running unchecked for 20 years of adulthood <laughs> where you're constantly trying to layer up your ambition and what you do and where you go and how you do it and the relationships that you form and all that. And in many respects, that comes to a grinding halt when the little one comes along because my ego is shifted to someone else. Yeah. And it was really timely. You know, I was sort of, I'm sort of sick of myself a little, you know, Um and yes, I will continue to make films and write books and 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 very much about I suppose my stories I, I sp- suppose. But now uh, May comes along and she's sort of trumped that and it's it's a it's brilliant. She's amazing. So it's got obviously you've got the right attitude by the sounds of it. And so um, would you say it's as challenging as some of the things that you've done in the past? Or no, yeah, you hear that too. I mean, it's challenging in its way, but so is, yeah. but so is anything you know and I know people have got a lot harder and a lot tougher in so many forms of life and and yeah when you do tough days as a single person they're 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 just a different kind of tough day as a parent um and the sleep deprivation thing and whatnot that and and to be honest too you know that's mostly Helen's domain at the moment she's still breastfeeding and so I sort of support where I can but um 
Oh, there's a lot harder things in life than parenthood. A- absolutely. You know, and I would never dare to say that this is, oh, golly, my life's ended. It's so hard. It's it's just better in so many ways. And the, the hardness is just a different kind of hardness. Fantastic. I love your attitude, man. I um, don't don't lose that as I, going forward as a parent. I've got a, an eight-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And yeah, so whatever you do, don't no matter how many kids you end up having together, even if you only have one, don't lose that attitude. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, I, I, Helen's going back to work and she's, um, she's the breadwinner at the moment, and uh, it's kind of liberating in a sense that I can follow her lead, uh, and in a sense May's lead as well. You just, I just dictate my day or I try to by her. And then get stuff done in the meantime, or take it with me. And um, yeah, I, I hope that sticks around. I, I remember looking at her yesterday. I think, gee, this is good. This is really good. This this little adventurous thing mm-hmm. buzzing around. You know, it's it's grass. Yeah. And I've got to ask, um, as it was a, a question that, it, that Daniel and I were discussing earlier. So have you started making YouTube videos about May? Well, yes, she's going to be part of the next couple. Um, the, she makes a, a cameo in the next film, uh, but up until now, my catalogue of films were filmed before she came along. So uh, she'll be in the next one to be released. She makes a, a bit of an appearance there, and there, there has been a little discussion about how much she becomes part of these things, you know, especially as YouTube sort of takes off and there's a lot of viewers out there now. So uh, as she has no part to play in saying yes or no I want to be involved in this with millions of people watching me so I've got to be mindful of that I know Casey Neistat one of the biggest YouTubers on the planet he's kept his daughter in fact I don't even know if I think it's a daughter um he shows her very subliminally you never see her face or you might see an eye or a nose but you never see her in full so I wouldn't know what she looks like and maybe that's going to come maybe that's going to come after the baby phase uh where may has her own identity and it's sort of hidden a bit i don't know but um i've got to think about that yeah yeah interesting it's like it's, as, it's, as the, the time capsule element of the of podcasts that we're talking about and youtube videos where you know it's there forever you know, like, so yep. she, she, she's going to grow up one day and look back and she goes, Dad, I can't believe you showed me when I was two years old or one year old or whatever. And so, yeah, you want to respect that, don't you? Um, so that's that's fantastic, too. Uh, look, I just wanted to, before I, I just jumped in front of you, I know, Ash, because we both that's got lots, right. of, lots of questions. So something interesting I have to tell you. So I watched your video, The Human Being, the other day, and I sat down, and my eight-year-old daughter sat down and watched it with me, which, she, and which is really rare. She doesn't really want to watch the things that I want to watch. She likes watching, um, you know, the little things that eight-year-olds like, whatever that is. And um, she, um, yeah, and so she couldn't believe that you ate all those beans, you know, based on, you know, the Steinbeck um, novel um, where you're eating, so you ate your body weight in beans. And my daughter thought it was really interesting. And then she goes, Dad, why don't you, you like coffee? Why don't you drink your body weight in coffee? And I told her how there's certain things we can't, that would probably kill me. <laughs> and she, she it took quite a while to understand, you know, the role of caffeine and what, what it can do. Have, have you ever had anything? Um, have you ever taken on a challenge where you thought this might kill me? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, not really. I'm and in where fact, you're the, going with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've done a talk about that because 
everything kills you in its own way you know so there's a poison scale when it goes up like this uh this really it's an exponential funnel so the higher you get on the scale of the funnel it widens so it widens to this sort of um huge throat and it goes right down to a pinpoint so right down the bottom of that funnel might be something like arsenic or lead paint or something you don't have to have much off for it to kill you but the higher you get on that funnel and the wider it opens up to like the, you know the end of a a trumpet um then you've got to have a lot more of it to kill you uh and that might be water for example so water will eventually kill you if if you have enough because of what it will flood your organs and you know rid you of salt and all sorts of things but um everything will kill you eventually and and it's very funny to hear uh, or to to witness the human being it's been it's been out there now for 10 or 12 days online and it's had half a million views and a lot of the people that are commenting on it are saying just how unbalanced my diet is. And they didn't quite get that that was kind of the point that I yeah. wanted to have, <laughs> you know, and I'm not quite sure how more obvious I need to say it. And and look, there's one fair enough aspect of that is they say you should have had tortillas with your with your beans and then you've got yourself a relatively balanced diet. So that's fair enough. But the, the idea was I was just very enamored by these kids eating beans off the floor. Um, yeah. And I do know that beans are a superfood and they're more than likely not going to kill me over 40 days. But all these people are saying that you will die and, you, and you'll die of cholesterol. You ha- have a heart attack or your B12 will plummet so much that you become comatose. And and I said, well, uh, well, it didn't happen and uh, i kind of knew that i was going to be deprived of a few things so uh thanks for saying that you captain obvious you know um <laughs> anyway but yeah but that's the buy-in too which is fascinating everyone eats so i sort of hit the nail on the head by uh doing a food-based experiment because everyone has an opinion about it so that was good but um no i've never set out to die i, I i'm not keen on that i, I don't have you might be familiar with andrew mccauley who paddled across from australia to new zealand uh yes. you know i think he did that with in the back of his mind he knew that he was probably a five percent or a ten percent or an 82 percent chance of being really gravely at risk yeah uh, and he still sets off anyway I, I don't think i'd make that choice in fact i wouldn't I, I think life's too valuable and and i'd rather do other things that are that are calculated enough to not have those risks interesting he, i i followed andrew at the time because like yourself, I was kind of into sea kayaking at that point. And, um, I mean, he did a lot to try and make his sea kayak um, safe, um, including, you know, the bubble over the capsule so that he could sleep at night, etc. But, yeah. Well, which, ironically, that was, actually that was the very thing that killed him in a yeah. sense. So that essentially was a large lead weight drogue. You know, as soon as he, if he's paddling right, that thing, it was called Casper. Yeah. Um, and this is another sidetrack, but it's funny how the very things we make to protect us sometimes kill us, and that was a perfect example that not only was he hugely yeah. fatigued, and so much of this is ambiguous, ambiguous of how it all happened, but when he's paddling along and he was, you know, he was knackered by then, and he's got New Zealand in his sights, so he can damn well see it. Oh. Um and he's been flopped by a wave, big wave, small wave, doesn't matter. And, and he can't get up again because the very thing that he'd make as his capsule to sleep, um, he couldn't roll up with it down. So, um, yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely tragic. That's for sure. 
I remember watching you um, in your it was in your paddle around um, South Africa when you when you learned of that, didn't you? Um, yeah, it's very transition. sad. It was yeah. very, I, was, I was on air. I did a radio broadcast each week with the ABC, and and the the person I was talking to, we had a really good relationship. She would talk really well together, uh, and she told me live on air that he'd gone missing, and and of course. Mm-hmm. The, the headlines back in Australia were kayaker goes missing at sea. Um, and so, I, you know, my satellite phone lit up. But that, I mean, that was a day later. But she told me live on air and it was it really did have me, uh, I was shocked. Because, uh, you know, I was sort of seeing our world trips in a similar way. His was far more on edge of, you know, I could see land most of the time. He couldn't. And it was, uh, yeah, it was sad. It was a real sad moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I, I, this- actually... Sorry, Sorry, go. I'm going to butt in now. Yes. Did you, when you paddled um, in South Australia and then over to Western Australia, and I've been to both those uh, locations where you paddled, um, did you find that more daunting paddling to those smaller islands here in Australia than around South Africa? Probably, you know, but I've thought a lot about this in a sense that because I wasn't, you know, that my first film project or major film project well, major for me was called the green paddle which i produced in 2005 i think it was or three um the paddle was in 2003 and and i'm a young bloke then and it was called the green paddle because of my naivety you know i wasn't much of a sea kiker then um i i was i could barely roll i was i was sort of just this you know my chart navigation and my sense of the sea and tides and and how water works and how global weather works was really was really thin so when you don't know much it's kind of you don't know what you know you don't know yeah. that, that that classic old thing you know and that that's why fighter pilots are 20 i suppose rather than 35 because we realize that uh we're probably doing stuff that's potent well potentially foolhardy right so yeah. I, I didn't have the factor then than i did as i build up experience over time um and so yes maybe geographically and in terms of sea kiking uh yeah they can be super volatile against this super ocean um but when you don't realize those risks you just sort of out you go and you know i always thought water was water until i started to understand tides more and and currents and if i see big blue expanse in front of me i'm just going to go and i'm going to paddle wherever the hell i like not realizing that this giant carpet underneath me is going wherever the hell it likes you know um so yeah they're they quite different trips but uh they suited my age yeah. The same the same thing has been said for going to the moon was that I think the average age of the of the workers for going to the moon was 26 and it was it's been said now that the fact that they didn't believe that they couldn't do it because of their age was a major factor in actually getting there. Yeah, there's that real sense of optimism. I get a lot of emails now from young young kids or you know 18 and 19 year olds that want to do all these far out things, you know, and uh and I will never tell them they can't do it. Um, and they ask these very naive questions, and I, and and that's their power is the naivety of it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. What, what baffles me a little bit is that I never ask those questions in a sense that that, and I wouldn't seek for that advice. I'd go and I'd sort of dip my toes in in a few things to get a sense of it before I would then make a a decision to do something bolder for the next trip. So they, I, I think that's what's missing, maybe between 
what I hear of these emails and myself is that um, I would never have asked that advice in the first place. That that might be a difference. But in any case, yeah, these young people they do amazing things. Yeah, amazing. That's very true. Yeah. Speaking of amazing things, so as this is a um, a running podcast, I, I want to. We haven't actually spoken. I love. I'm really interested about the paddling stuff, but I do have a very um and a, a question about running. So you're um I. I've watched this one of yours. I've watched it, the Alpine, your Alpine walking one. What's it called? Um, Trial of Miles, Trials of yep. Miles. Yeah. Yep. Where you 650 kilometres um, through some, probably some of the most rugged terrain in Australia. Yeah. That w- was like, I watched that a few, when it first was probably uploaded to YouTube because I was always, I've always trawling running videos and stuff on YouTube. And, um, I think what struck me with that one is just that at no point did I think it wasn't until the, near the very end that I thought you were going to make it. And so, um, which is, I like that feeling. There was a, a real sense of failure hanging over your head. And I'm not saying you're a failure clearly, but, um, that's, but do you enjoy being in that, that, that area where you feel like failure is a real possibility? Yeah, yeah. Although what it was in the it was in the wake of Africa, right? And I had this real sense of unfa- unfailure. I had the real sense of uh, non-success or failure after Africa. So yeah, that was a that was a trip that was supposed to be four thousand odd kilometres, and I only did half of that, less than half of that actually. And so I didn't really want to embark on something that I didn't think I could do again because of that sort of doldrums that I found myself in afterwards. And not a negative way. I'm not a negative kind of person and I didn't dwell on it too much other than the fact that I didn't want to tell that story because I thought it was unsuccessful. So, yeah, Africa took me three or four years to produce the film. Yeah, right. So, so setting out and – and in many respects I went from sea kayaking back to running, which has been really my sort of core – activity my whole adult life and in fact life really I, I love it it's part of me like breathing and eating breakfast you know yeah. uh, I, I really trust my legs and my body and I think okay so you go on a paddle trip and you can only really paddle five or six days out of ten or even eight out of ten when when you when you're pretty gutsy whereas running you can run at all times in all weather you just have to take a different layer of clothing and away you go. You've got this connection to the ground through your legs, which is a far more um, tangible, I suppose, relationship than paddling through a big sea, which is so more movable and fluid. Yeah. So, look, I always thought that I'd, I'd get there distance-wise. It was always a it was a time thing. How long is it going to take me, in a sense? And it just so happened I was able to do it in the time frame I wanted and and – and I got a bit lucky too, I suppose. I had pretty good weather for the most part. And um, yeah, I, but but you're right. I had that. I had the niggling sense at about day ten, um, and that's probably when I'm starting to get pretty pretty sore and deprived of lots of things. That oh maybe maybe Bo, you know, you cocky bugger. Maybe you're not going to get there regardless of the time. So there was there was some genuine truth to that within it. Yeah. Yeah. And did that did that fix you? mentally after having uh and fixing is probably the wrong words but there's lots of people who go out and they try to run let's say their their first 100k ultra and they they pull out and then literally for 
18 months, two years. They just won't race or attempt that distance again. Uh, and then they do it again, and all of a sudden they're doing 10 and 15, 100Ks. Um, was it the same for you? That, that fix your your mental – it's not a block, but it's you still – you just question stuff. Oh, yeah, look, I, I don't race well with others or I don't mix well with others in a sense um, – on those kind of trips, Bass by Kayak, you know, when I paddled across uh, from the mainland Oz to Tassie, that was quite a different trip. That was very social. I was doing it for my PhD and it was very much an inquiry of a bunch of things. And it was, and so I allowed that to become social and go with these other guys. And, and, and I, and I, I'm so thankful for that. A solo trip across Bass Strait or a solo trip anywhere really is very different um, to that, to that shared experience. Now, the, the Alpine run, you know, that was in many respects a shared experience too because I had Charlie each evening or uh, or Leslie or, or my parents, you know, they made cameos. Yeah. And yeah. That, was re- that was really nice to have someone to run to each day. Um, but I would, n- I would never do that again. I would never put people in under that pressure again. Um, and Africa had that sense of, of autonomy that I really liked and that other than putting my mum through hell, back here in Australia, knowing that I was out there essentially alone, um, or a lot for a lot of it anyway, uh, I would do things very differently with, with a big run again. And in terms of setting your sort of setting yourself up for future endeavors, what it did do is that long run is just made me realize how, how hardy humans are, not just me, just humans. We can do remarkable things, of course. And we, it's often we have to do something to remind ourselves that. Do you- yeah. Do you feel like I often think about what is what is my measure of success? You know, because I mean, in the, especially at the moment when with with the the coronavirus pandemic, and you know, ra- I'm someone who loves who enjoys going in races, and a, a measure of success might be finishing the race or getting a a, a PB on a particular course or or whatever. But I mean, we're in an age where that's not an option. And I don't know, there's, have you, has your measure of success changed at all? Or have you always, I mean, obviously because you are so, you are quite an introspective person and you like to look in uh, into yourself and, and see what's happening. Like, would you say that that has changed? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yes, in that uh, it's certainly evolved since I was, I went for my first run. You know, when you feel... I don't know if you could think of when you were first felt a bit edgy on where you were in the world. You think, oh, geez, I've gone, I've gone beyond my line of comfort, and I'm not into comfort zones. I, t- I tend to try and debunk this idea of comfort zones all the time. But, but I do, I do know it has merit. When I first went for a run, and and I remember thinking, gee, I'm far enough away from home that if something goes wrong now, I'm gonna, it's gonna take me beyond dark to get home again. You know, I was about 14, and I'd gone to the end of the road, and then a bit more. And it was starting to get dark and I would have to run the entire way back to get home before dark. And that felt edgy. That felt like, gee, I've gone to a threshold point of some sort. Um, And I suppose I, since that time, knowing what you're capable of or or what you think you're capable of, and then you map yourself against these physical endeavours for the rest of your life. And they always have a point. They always have some sort of objective. And we're not always very good at really saying what those objectives are and often you know when people ask why do you do this I, I often think well get stuffed I don't have to tell you 
Um, But then in some respects you do. If you put yourself out there as a storyteller, you sometimes have to elaborate on these things, and that's that's cool. Uh, But in terms of the success thing and and our current conundrum of being in lockdown, I have very much a measure of self-success now that doesn't involve others. Um, You know, I'm a slower runner, I suppose, and I'm nowhere near as fast, and I will never be as fast as I was in the, you know, my late 20s when I was sort of a competitive I felt competitive, you know. I felt like I could line up and match it with people at the at the start line, and I don't I don't have that now. And I've never, you know, I raced in the twenties, and that was about it. So I, I tend to not run with others now uh, in any way, shape, or form, and that's where my sense of success is, I suppose. Yeah, fantastic, good answer. Thank you, um, Ash. You got, you got one for for him? <laughs> yeah. So what? Uh... What made you want to become a storyteller? What happened? Have you always been a storyteller? Like, were you a storyteller when you were in primary school? Well, that's a good question on storytelling because I'm starting to realise, and this might only even be in the last six months, you know, because I'm no longer employed, and so I now wonder what the hell I am. And and I now think if I'm to ride on my uh, incoming card, if I go overseas, I haven't been overseas in years, and that's all I did for 20 years. And so I'm becoming this sort of homed person that does less things but tries to do more out of it and and I'm realizing that that is storytelling that is becoming in a sense my job but when I say that and I wrote about this a a chapter in my PhD about storytelling and there's this wonderful book out there by Adam Gottenshaw called The Storytelling Animal and we are storytellers humans are storytellers you you both are Ashley and Daniel are storytellers my seven-month-old daughter will become a storyteller. She's going to be busting at the seams to tell us mm-hmm. stories when she's got enough words to, to tell it, as as will, you know, your six kids between you are storytellers. Yeah. yeah. So we all do it, right? Everyone is a storyteller. So whilst it might be my vocation at the moment, everyone does it by default because we are human. So I suppose to answer your question about when did I become a storyteller, I suppose when did I become to identify myself as a as a vocational storyteller, and that is only recently. Uh, up until last year, November 14, when I was put into the dean's office, the acting dean, um, and told I didn't have a job effective immediately, um, up to that point, I was a teacher and an outdoor educator and a pseudo-adventurer, whatever, um, hobby farmer, but I was not a storyteller as such, and I think now I am probably am. Yeah. Wow. So you've got to embrace that, obviously, at the moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're um, – sorry, go, Ashley. What I was going to say is in your PhD, which I've read a bit of, so you, you constantly use the word autoethnographic. Yeah. Um, did that come about before your PhD and therefore became your PhD, or did that come about because of your PhD? Good question, Ashley. So I never wanted to do a PhD on myself. I was tripping over myself in my ego as a filmmaker. And so when you come through a process of Africa, Africa was the biggest ego-centric thing I've ever done in that you sit in a room with an editor for six or eight or ten months and you watch yourself to the point where you, you don't want to watch yourself anymore and you start talking to you of yourself as that guy. You know, it becomes this very three-dimensional thing or this this third person thing 
So I got through two thirds of, no, not two thirds. I got to the sort of third stage of my PhD uh, where my whole data collection was going to be on an expedition of others. So I would study others. I would study students on an expedition. Yep. And and one of the panel members or the examiners said, Bo, you know what? That's all very good and well, but you're an interesting dude and you've got a big story to tell with this sea kayaking game you do and you're running and whatever else. You should put the lens on yourself. So this is a timely thing within research as well because I've come about in a time where, you know, ethnography, which is the study of humans, was often and for many hundreds of years or let's say 100 years, a white privileged dude going into a, an indigenous community somewhere in the world and examining them and then telling them this is how it is. So it was a flawed form of research for a long time. Now, autoethnography has come about because, okay, lo and behold, the person researching those indigenous people or whoever it is they were studying was a flawed, complex human themselves. Who the hell is studying them? You know, and so we need to understand the researcher as much as what the researcher is studying. And so there's now this link that there was always this debate and it's still raging, no doubt, that um, you can have objective and subjective knowledge and that good knowledge is the most objective knowledge because it's the most truthful. Well, yeah. for me to push forward in my PhD of studying 21 or 25 20-year-old Sikh kayakers was to me and the panel a very flawed process given how complex and how misunderstood I was to myself as a Sikh kayaker. So why don't you, Bo, go ahead and study yourself as a mirror of the world um, because the insights will be greater and deeper. And so that's what I did and I've learned an awful lot through that process. Amazing. that answer your question, Ash? It does. The fact is, I'd like to go into it a lot further, but I won't because I don't want to bore the um, the listener with the runners, my yeah. questions about that stuff. Yes. But it um, is just because um, I do want to go back to some more of your your adventures, and I guess the adventures into your into your psyche. So I guess it does all relate. Um, do you um, are people able to? to read your research like if for people to go looking for it well yeah I've, I've got it on hold um and i because i ripped out of the academic community very quickly and, and in a sense with sort of a sour taste in my mouth i've i've sort yeah. of put a freeze on anything that's academically minded and i've um you know i've led these sort of dual life for years as Bo kind of this backyard dude who sort of wants to resist objectivity of institutions and explore my subjectivity as this, you know, bloke who wears around shitty clothes and doesn't shower enough. And I'm sort of embracing being back into that world. My PhD will get published, but whether it gets published next year or the year after, and people can find it online in, you know, squirrel holes somewhere. And in yep. many respects, because it's my academic voice, it's pretty bloody boring, a lot of it, you know. So I, I don't really, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone in a sense because it's, you know, you've got to write in a particular way to write a PhD and there's some flurry in there and there's some boisms, but, you know, they're few and far between and it had to be fairly rigorous, as they say. Uh, it will see the light of day, but whether it's in its current form or not, I'm not sure. Interesting. So I guess if people are have got a penchant for um, 
for academic reading, then they can go and look for it. And uh, so I'm sure they'll be able to find it. It's uh, a lot like entering with the way you did your elusiveness there reminded me of people, people trying to enter the Barclay marathons in America, (laughs) you know, just uh, you have to go and f- go and search out the clues. Makes it fun, an adventure in it's an adventure on the internet. Hey, you guys might know this. So when I watched um, uh, Where Dreams Go to Die, or it might have been yeah. one of the others, because I've watched a bunch of the sort of clips on the Barclays. And you know how you know Laz asks for a a number plate to be taken by competitors. Yes. I saw a film shot of of these number plates, and you know a lot of America, a lot of Europe, a lot of all over the world. I saw a Victorian number plate. Yeah, that's yes. Isabel. You, Isabel. So, is how many Australians have done the Barclays? Two, not a lot. Two, I think. Not, just two, is it? Who's I think it's the just other? two. I think it's Isabel, and then it's a guy from Brisbane. Um, okay. What's his name? I'd love to remember. go for a run with these people. You know, well, I'd love to. You'd be able to run with Isabel. I'm sure. Isabel's yeah, in yeah, a run with you. Isabel Ross, we can hook you up, give you her details. We yeah. actually do a um another podcast with Isabel. With her. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> And so she is a an amazing runner, and um, so yeah, I think you should probably get a lot out of each other. I think she's not far from Mount. What oh, what suburb is Isabel in? I know she's near some mountains, um, out just out of Victoria, <laughs> out of Melbourne. That 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 narrows it down, doesn't it? That narrowed <laughs> it down right down. That really narrowed it. Yeah, down. that's good. Absolutely. When I, when you go travelling and um, you know you bump into some uh, obnoxious person, someone they ah oh, oh, you must know this person because they live in Victoria. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I know him. Yeah, I um yeah. I sat next to him at school. <laughs> I remember. It's... I remember being asked if I knew Kyle Minogue when I was in the US, and it's like, oh, I don't know Kyle Minogue. Like, <laughs> the country's no. a bit bigger than that. Oh, well, I got a similar thing. I used to, I mean, when I went to the States, I got asked a lot whether it, I knew Daniel Johns from Silverchair. And oh. I and I said, of course, of course I knew him. Because <laughs> they wouldn't know. Um, but, yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting with the, um, the yeah, the Barclay because, um, yeah, that that's a different, that's something that I have no interest in ever running and ever entering. And I've been very public about, <laughs> about that. I like a challenge. But that just seems to me, and I guess that mindset that Laz, Lazarus Lake has, the race director, it's sort of reflective of what you are into in terms of he, he's all about like, he's a bit of a sadomasochist, I guess. He wants to inflict as much pain on people as possible. Um, but in terms of he likes the experimental side of trying to make people fail or to push people as close to failure as possible to see what I think he's. I think he's just looking for people's limits. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you feel like that is uh, a true? Do you have? Can you relate to him both <laughs> as a race? Yeah, I, I really like his kookiness. I think it's wonderful, and yeah. I'm attracted to his story or the story of the Barclays because it's just not money driven. I think it's wonderful how he's yeah. kept it so non commodified, and and it's and it's a bit Banksy esque in that sense too. It's become very famous because it's done for its own merits and for this bloke who lives this sort of pseudo hermit life in in the mountains is it tennessee i forget yeah tennessee. it's tennessee um and yeah i really like that I, I love i love doing things for their merits and yet i'm a bit of a sellout in some respects too i do have to earn money and i won't do that via youtube i don't think and at the moment it's just i mean yes it, it is monetized but you know you've got to 
a hundred thousand views gives you uh, about a thousand bucks, you know, and I've got to split oh, that okay. a bunch of ways. So it doesn't earn yeah. much money. It's it's bread money and milk money at, at most. It might it might balloon and hopefully it does. But um, in any case, I like doing things for just the sake of doing it. And, you know, a mile an hour was very much as for, for doing it and, yeah. and odd. And I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. And you know what? I didn't even think it was going to be a great story until until you really start to unpick it a bit and you think, oh, yeah, there's some. There's some real authenticity in this. And so I'm in constant pursuit of authenticity through not knowing because that gives me great excitement. Uh, I don't I don't want to, you know, I had ideas of being an actor when I was 20 and I thought, you know, when I think of that now, I think, shit, I'm in such a better state. I'm sort of making these docos where I don't know what the script is going to be or I've got a loose script and I can be really at lib along the way and just be yourself. And it's terrific, you know, and I... And I and I really like it. And, and the trouble with something like a, the Melbourne Marathon, that is a massive yeah. script for me. You know, I just wouldn't do it. Um, it doesn't interest me one iota. I would do something that is really different. And I'd rather run 50Ks of a sort of track that I only know is half there. I, I think that, that just intrigues me more. Yeah, that um, I, that sort of makes me think again of your other video. We I like how we, we can drop in all your videos here really seamlessly. I'm um, leading up. Garden path, Daniel. Yeah, uh, you know that's got run the line all over run, it, mate. It does. <laughs> it, it run the line exactly. Now, was that a? I mean, I I enjoyed that, and that was one that I actually watched with my my step my stepfather, and he actually is not a runner at all, but he he, he just appreciated your um your Aussiness, and uh, I think a lot of people really appreciate your Aussiness. It, you, you, you're um you just you sort of lean into it a fair bit in run the line, and I really like the way. Yeah, it was just an adventure that you invented. Um, and was that a reference run the line? Was it a reference to the Johnny Cash song "Walk the Line"? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and it'll get it'll get uh, misdone there. For there was a, a article written about me in the UK that says, you know, is is this great film by this American runner with a southern twang called "Run the Line"? Uh, sorry, <laughs> the line. It was misquoted about five ways. Oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, and, and it was just. Um, you know, just something identifiable, but it was sort of struck. We were coming up with uh, titles on the way home from a road trip, myself and my wife one day, and we, yeah, that one came up and thought, oh, yeah, that's a ripper. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, yeah, do, do you have any other, I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit here, but um, do you have any other big adventures lined up in the near future, aside from Parenthood, which you've already uh, in the midst There's of? a lot of films to come out, yeah, so... Um, There'll be there'll be no less than five or six more films come out this year, uh, but most of those are already shot. And and there's and then there's a couple that uh, are sort of secretly on the burner. But um, yeah, there's a bunch of films that will come out this year, including my commute series, which has been years in the making. When I walked and paddled to work, um, that's going to be short lived in a sense that it was going to be a series of four or six but that'll probably just be the little mini series of two because i no longer have a work to go to and i'll i'll reinvent them somehow but they'll be out by the end of the year and do the festival circuit um and i spent um i spent a night in one of my gum trees a few months ago on the sort of week before <laughs> lockdown started yeah uh, which which is super basic you know all i did was just do what a 12 year old kid wants to do and spend a night in a tree uh but i did it kind of in a way that um you know it was all sort of set up throughout that day and it was fun creating a platform up a tree and then you go and experience a couple of meals up a tree and talk about the world and 
and it was really busy and it was engaged and I was sort of hanging by my balls half the time and it was really it was great you know I, I loved it and um so that'll be out in the next probably four to five weeks called big gums because uh, I've got these big giant gum trees on my little property and and they're great fantastic yeah um ash go yeah I was, so I mean but you're pretty entertaining and um <laughs> or, you know Thanks, like, ash. No, that's that's the fact if you weren't entertaining you wouldn't have the youtube audience that you have and uh so you've got you know the capacity now to start to influence you know local communities and probably the broader community and i was wondering what is the message that you're now trying to get out like what's your underlying overall message that you want to get out through your catalog yeah. of films and, and storytelling well my my wife asked me that all the time and my co-producer asked me that all the time in fact no he doesn't ask it now because he knows not to but my wife continues to ask it because she's great like that um as in what's your message bo what are you trying to say what are you doing now i i, I need to be asked that all the time and yet my response tends to be the same in that I do lots of podcasts now and I always get asked this message or, your, you know, what's your mission and what's your thing? And I'm somewhat allergic to having any kind of message or meaning. And I go back to that thing that I just want to be a good storyteller. And good stories are often really subtle with any kind of messaging because all the person is doing is telling the story of what happened and their take on things. Now, that doesn't mean that it translates to one person or 18 or, or a million. It's just a story, right? And so my message, when I, so when I went and spent the night up a gum tree, it's for very selfish, insightful reasons for myself. You know, I want to go and sit up a gum tree. One, because birds sound different from a gum tree. Two, I can see what my, my neighbours are doing. Three, I can see my local town. I can, I can see different things from up there. Four, it's it's physically active and I get to use ladders in a different way and I get to brush up on my rope work and my lashing skills. Five, why not? Uh, six, the gum trees are endangered. Uh, seven, I've been meaning to do it for years and I had the kooky idea when I was sitting on the porch. You know, there's all these reasons why I've done it, but none of them really mean much other than, oh, okay, Bo's going to do it and then create a story about it. So, in, in the longest possible way, to answer your question, Ashley, I, I, I try not to have any meaning to my stories whatsoever other than to, them to be a, a good story. And if people take one thing out of them, great. If they take five things or no things, then I've got to trust the audience to take their own messaging. I don't want to, I don't want to be a preacher or tell people to suck eggs. They've just got to either, they either like it or they don't based on its storytelling ability. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Do you like collecting skills? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you're right. And I write about a bit about that in my PhD too. Uh, and, and these very smart people call it enskillment. You know, you know, it's called upskilling, I suppose, in the lay world where you just want to get more skills. And I, and I definitely do. Um, I don't, I don't want to thrash myself over new skills until the point that I'm so good at them. That's all I do. You know, I could never have been a tennis player or a golfer that has to hit uh, a thousand balls a day and you do it for six hours a day. That would, that would bore me senseless, I think, because there's so many other things I'd like to split my time doing. I really like being this sort of 
not quite right um, polymath, you know. <laughs> I don't want to yep. be an expert in five things. I'd rather be pretty good at 25 things. And I get flack for that a bit on, online, people saying, you know, he's sort of he's a non-expert of everything. Uh, well, that's all right. I can deal with that. Um, I'd, I'd rather sort of sense these these worlds and you know I do things to a degree where I can feel the genuine natures of things and that's what I kind of want to want to do but I do like having a bag full of skills yeah yeah it look from what I've seen you love collecting skills <laughs> like yeah in all, your, in all your videos etc and you're you're yeah. like I've uh I think I was watching you make a paddle and um my old man's a reasonably skilled uh woodworker and I, and I watch you using the tools and um yeah i you've got quite a skill set there that you've obviously spent quite a time developing well wood's a thing that yeah that's sort of been with me forever i, I did a pseudo apprenticeship all through well my whole life you grew up in a little farm and my dad made everything and i've always loved building things and so that's kind of probably my you know, I, I worked as a builder for a bunch of years on and off through uni and, and even after uni, instead of being a teacher, the thing that I had a degree for, I went off and was a, a you know, I used to build decks and, and pergolas and fences and extensions for people. And so that's kind of what I did and flipped a bunch of houses. So that's really my thing, you know, um, wood and, and recycling stuff. Um, the rest is kind of uh, probably a, a bit more ad hoc. Um uh, but yeah, I, I genuinely, and you can learn a lot about, you know what makes a great woodworker? Here's, here's my pearl of wisdom for you. Um, not knowing how to build, it's how to use tools. So yeah. in, in many respects, it's taken me 25 years to learn how to use the tools in a particular way. And then, and then you layer that with the application of building, which you can, you know, you can see a picture of a building in its raw skeletal form and it's a piece of cake, but you've got to know how to do that with all the tools. Yeah, very true. Now, to your running. Yeah. We, we seem to have skirted around that quite a lot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's a polymath. He's a yeah, bit of everything. exactly right. <laughs> and he likes to do it while he's out on his run. Exactly. Um, how often do you run these days? It was, yeah, for a long long time. It was, um, you know, during the lead up to uh, – the, my bigger trips it was sort of I was obsessive about it then too that was that was a I'd have a day off a week and and but I would usually sometimes run uh, twice on one of the days so I was always doing sort of seven or eight runs a week but now I'll do a longer run on a Sunday and a long run for me now is 20ks on a Sunday I'll do that out in the bush somewhere and um you know last night I did some sort of tempo stuff out in the bush that was 40 minutes I'm, I'm a three week an hour I think three or sometimes four um but i'm being far more physical on the farm now with this whole covid thing too so I'm, i've got a big yeah. pressure release system by digging holes and slashing weeds and building stuff and uh you know i try and do a lot of things manually around here my poor old tractor just sits in the shed because i just want I, you know or i want to move a pile of wood from there to there rather than using the bucket and the carrel of the tractor i'll do oh <laughs> bloody you know get a will just put it in my arms and do 17 trips um so I'm pretty physical otherwise. Excellent. How's your um? I mean, I want to jump in quickly. How are you, how are your wood chopping skills coming along? <laughs> they're, they're getting better. Jeez, uh, I made an ass of myself at the Warby Trail Fest two years ago when I um I'm the starting. I go through a log in in the standing block form to start the race called the Lumberjack, and and I've been doing this sort of um 
these sort of bush league country competitions in wood chopping for a couple of years now. Um, and I'm certainly I'm certainly getting better, but it does depend a bit on the day and on the, on the wood that I'm chopping, you know, whether it's a bit knotty or a bit greener or a bit whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm getting better. Yeah, I know how to do it, you know, and if you don't know how to do it, it becomes a very hard process. So you just got to learn the pattern of where your axe goes and dimensions of things. So I'm still only learning in many respects to filter through the basics to make it work, uh, a bit like that tool thing, you know. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, it's really fun and violent. I've never done anything anaerobic in my whole life. It's always been the long grind. And so to do something so explosive where you're done with within 40 seconds, if you're doing okay, then um, it's really, anyway, I'm out of breath for minutes. It's cool. It looks savage. It looks really savage when you're um, swinging that ax, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really good. Um, it must be good for the, uh, the upper body and the, the workout. <laughs> So you don't need to go to the gym, I'm sure. Have no, you been... no, it's very different, yeah. Do, do you ever go to the gym? Are you a gym per... Were you ever a gym person? No, like, no, I, I was a, no, I was a fitness instructor through uni and I used to do a couple of days a week of boxercise and stuff, but that was me taking the classes and I wasn't very good at it. I was pretty crap as, as an instructor. People liked <laughs> me because I think I was likeable, but not for my skills. <laughs> I was okay. <laughs> but... Uh, that was um yeah that was a bit of fun so I'd, I'd hang out and do a you know that was two sessions a week during uni but that was only because it was paid work uh, and in fact that kind of bred my distrust of of gyms and yet I know they've got a great space and I've been going a little bit recently with my dad who's crook trying to get him uh, some strength and uh, and that was really interesting just to and I'd just go along as his sparring partner and sitting there next to him and sort of wobble him around uh bits and pieces my wife loves gyms because of the discipline of it and the exacting nature of it but then she comes from that sort of trained athlete background she was a top netballer so she had always that you got to do half an hour here and 15 minutes there and do your stretching and then you go out for game time and then warm down and warm up and drink here and drink there i've never been that sort of structured athlete yeah no that's interesting Structured versus, I, I would say that I personally, as a runner, I'm I'm generally very structured. I'm I'm less structured at the moment in this um this period of human history. But um I think that I don't know. I respond I respond well to structure, and I think you strike me as some. Obviously, you just stated it that you don't like the structure of of a gym and that, and but you you like to you sort of go with the flow, don't you? You're a, yeah, I, I, I do, but I don't like to confuse that with, with um, you know, I'm still very disciplined. You know, I'm very disciplined in my yeah. life and how I structure my life in many respects. And that's not to say that um, when I go for a run, I want to make it count, you know. But I, So if I'm feeling good, I will, I will push myself to a high heart rate and I'll bust my lungs. And so that's quite a disciplined pushing but if I'm not feeling, I just won't. I'll just shuffle along and walk yeah. up the real steep stuff, and I'll just I'll think about the bird song that I can hear and not really bust myself. But well, last night I did some real efforts, and I and I, I pushed that envelope a little, and uh and and that's the discipline that I'll always constantly go to if it's there. So I trust myself in that respect. Um, so there's there's different kind of structures that can, you can take with you you know and so i know that a lot of people if they stick into a structured run and they're feeling a million bucks they won't push themselves because their, their their timetable says that you're not supposed to do a high tempo run that day well you know I, i'll just go with it whenever i'm feeling good you know 
Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Um, I've got one more question, Ash, and then I'm going to I'll hand pass it over to you. But um, I know we're getting we're probably running out of time shortly. Um, so looking at some of your massive adventures that you've done, um, if there's been a few times where you look like you've got real low and lonely. I'm thinking specifically when you were stuck on that beach in Africa after there was that massive storm and the, the ocean just, and you're all by yourself on the beach for a number of days. Um, I forget which country, maybe you'd made it into South Africa. Yeah, ju just into South Africa. I was there for seven days. Yeah, seven days yeah. just whittling away the time, waiting for the swell to die down. Yeah, I, I was watching that and I was thinking so much of Tom Hanks in like, you know, your, your castaway moment kind of thing. And um, and just watching, like I would love to know, get more insight into that level of isolation, you know, seeing as we do live in an isolated time. Um, you know, how did you cope emotionally and, you know, in that, in being, when and in other situations where you get real lonely in races, and, or not races, but in big adventures? But in, in anything, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's a good question in that I, I bring this up a lot with my students or my ex-students. I'd always, I'd do a show of hands. Okay, when, when were you last by yourself completely and utterly with no other human intervention or human sounds? So you can't hear a road, you can't hear a radio, you don't have a book with you, you don't have an, your earbuds with a phone, um, and you can't see, you can't see rubbish, you can't see a human trail. You know, when were you last yeah. completely as a human um I suppose in a human space without with no other humans around and you do a six hour thing and a 12 hour thing and a one day thing and, and virtually no student of the age of 20 has ever been alone for more than 24 hours with no yeah. human intervention um now that, that and that makes sense that we're, we're yeah. social animals and and we most of us live in cities now and there's lots of human stuff around and human stuff is amazing so it's like candy and we we go towards it um I really, I come from a slightly different generation in a sense. I'm no longer 20. And when I was 20, you know, I still didn't, I didn't have a mobile phone and Google wasn't around when I was 20. So we've rapidly come to this new world of, I think, over communication and yep. saturation of others. So, and I grew up in small acreage on a small farm with a pretty hard dad. Uh, who, you know, said, I'm not taking you to town. I'm not taking you to your mate's house. Bloody make it up yourself, you know. And so... Yeah. Um, I really like my own time that, that has been driven into me for a long, long time now. And I love it. My wife does too, but not nowhere near as much as, as me. Uh, and there is a big difference. Lastly on that, there's a big difference between being alone and lonely. Yes. Uh, and I suppose what you identified there with, uh, is that in Africa, that was, I think that was probably the longest I've ever been truly alone. Um, around a week where I didn't have any human. I had the radio. I listened to the BBC, but I was a mongrel on that too. I'd listen only for an hour a day because I only had batteries for about that. Um, yeah, I, I like being lonely. I think it's wonderful. Out there on the trail, you've got to, you know, you sing to yourself. I used to do movie scripts whilst paddling and running, you know, big long bouts of running. I'd try and think of, all right, Forrest Gump goes for two and a half hours. Yeah. I want to think of every damn scene from Forrest Gump <laughs> and I want to, I'm gonna, and you think about it for as long as the movie takes. You try and come up with that much detail, and so interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really cool. 
Have you ever done anything like that, Ashley? I was just thinking um, yesterday I was running and um, I was going through theoretical physics in my head. As and, you do. Yeah, <laughs> and I was trying to do um, some maths while running and there was, you know, P squared equals S squared and, and I was just running through and then E equals MC squared and, and what would happen if you took the mass out what would happen to a gravitational wave and yeah it's not something you should do while you're running just so you know i'm amazed <laughs> but um yeah it was a lot of fun um you know it was one of those things where nuclear fission we thought the mass could take us so far and then we worked out mathematically nuclear fission wasn't possible then someone came along and invented quantum physics which proved that it was possible because you know stuff happens so it's just yeah i do stuff like that in my head well i'm just flat out trying to trying to figure out my splits and how long it's going to take me to get to the next aid station or whatever (laughs) see i used to do that and then i got to i don't know you might be the same Bo, where i got to the stage where that was just making my run either better or worse and i didn't want that experience so i took it somewhere completely different yeah, well, I know with my wife, Helen, for the first six months of our baby, we're first-time parents too, right? So we're trying to get the lay of the land of how this whole baby thing works, this little human. Yeah. And, of course, she is she is built on well, – all, all she wants really is warmth and milk and a clean backside, I, I suppose. Mm. But to map that across the day, um, every day is quite different and you wonder if that day is better than the day before, et cetera. So my wife had this, you know, spreadsheet of masses of data – <laughs> of, of how much milk and which boob and what time and what she's wearing and oh, all this, wow. and like all this really and I and I'm not that way inclined whatsoever you know so me seeing that was really fascinating and yet I I sort of got it too because it was a really good point of reference when you realise that things are very different today than what they were yesterday but when Helen told this to one of her close mates she said no I've I've never done that I just don't have time you know she's got an extra kid and. Uh, work life and whatever so I, I suppose it's different folks and different strokes in terms of how we we do that and yet both kids are super healthy and <laughs> you know well loved by their parents so I suppose uh, and I imagine runners have got that huge spectrum of of um of how they do it and how they operate their run yeah yeah I, as a child just seeks comfort and then we get to adulthood and we realise comfort is actually uncomfortable. Yeah, or, or balance is, um, you know, that whole, when someone draws a picture in the middle of the page, at, uh, uh, we're nowhere near as attracted to that if unless it's in, you know, the top third of the corner. Yes. You know, that whole art, artist yep. balance when you split it yep. by threes. You know, balance is un- imbalance. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Really interesting. I... Um, no, I'm just fascinated about your wife keeping spreadsheets on on all the um on all that. Can I ask what what Helen does for a job? She's a business owner, and so she is a spreadsheet queen, right? So she, yeah. I walk here into the into the unfinished uh, library slash laundry slash whatever the hell it is I'm sitting in at the moment, and um. I haven't finished it yet. And, yeah, she's just got multiple screens up of numbers and grids. So that's kind of how she thinks. She's she's a, She was a business major and, 
she's very business orientated. She's in saying that she's such a wonderful people person, but that's just by default where she falls to because that's she's got a good skill set there. But um, yeah, she runs a small uh, Enviro DNA, it's called, and, and they basically take samples out of water and tell you what lives there. Oh wow, that's oh, fascinating. Cool. That's that's, that's, that's my background. Yeah, she's she's totally awesome. She's she's not a scientist. She's not a scientist bootlace, but she's a wonderful communicator and business person. You know, she's just she takes no prisoners there. So it's a really good marriage with her worldview and her skill set. And um, look, if people want to see your wife, she made she does make a few cameos in some of your videos. And, uh, <laughs> she does. She's and a cracker. I, I particularly enjoy her disgust of you eating all those beans at, at different times. Oh, and uh, so it's good. And also I like the, uh, the your bike riding, uh, uh, the video, My Wife Helen, Bike Rider, that video yeah. where you raced, what was the, you raced up some hill and you yeah. were running and she was riding. And um, yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, so, I was pretty, I was pretty fat then too. I'd just come out of the pier. Oh, actually, I don't know why I was a bit fat, but in any case, um, yeah, I've copped massive flack for that too because um, oh. she should have been on a on a road bike. So you know, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> we just we shot that film just as a last minute thing. We were up there having a work retreat, and uh, we just wanted a, a basically a work break. So myself and and Mitch and a couple of the others, we went out and, and shot that within you know the 35 minutes and. And that was it. That was the smallest shoot we've ever done with almost zero thought. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's more Helen films coming up. We've got uh, Weights and Measures. That's going to come out too. Her and I always have competition on Weights and Measures. How far is that tree? How much does the baby weigh? How cold is it today? You know, so cool. uh, we, we have this sort of little competitions around the house. It's fun. You seem like you're a good um a good enough yin and yang that you can really balance each other out. Oh, mate, she's awesome. You know, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, and I've had great relationships my whole life, but I suppose when you have a great relationship and there's always that little thought in your back of your mind, you go, oh, is, is this forever? You know, that's that's a good enough thing to think that it's not. And and I've never thought that with Helen, and I don't think I will. She's a, she's a wonderful compliment to my life and irons me out, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, I think we, well, I don't know, Ash, what do you got? I'd, yeah, well, I'm, well, I was going to say, we're going to wrap it up. I yeah, have one, I could a couple talk to of you all day, questions. <laughs> and uh, what's the run that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Good question. Um, I, I would, you know, the big long runs of us, the long treks in Australia uh, are magnificent runs and not all of them are great. You know, I've, I've walked the layer of Pinta three times and I'm not sure I'd want to run it as much as I'd walk it because it is a bit rocky and a bit rock and rolly and uh, it lends itself such beautifully to a walk. Whereas something maybe like the Great Ocean Road or Great Ocean Walk or the, the Hasten Trail or the, the Bibulum, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I've hiked most of them or the chunk, big chunks of those. Um, I don't know. You know, I think my favourite run is something that's not going to be one of those things. You know, I know I ran I ran uh, a few years ago. It's going to be my next Insta post, whereas a big cold snap here three years ago and the snow fell almost to our little farm here. And so Helen and I jumped in the car and we went up into the close by hills and ran in this giant forest that was covered in a foot of snow. And, and that was amazing. That was amazing. Now, if, if I'd run 30 or 40 Ks that day in that kind of, you know, when you've got snow down to those massive gum trees, um, 
it would have been the most memorable run of your life. It would be incredible, you know. So I think those the the runs that I haven't done yet are probably the ones that I just stumble upon and I think, wow, this is amazing. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've, Which is a, it's a crap answer, Ashley. Sorry, mate. But I just uh, there's so many good runs out there, and sometimes a run that you think is underwhelming is going to be is incredible, and sometimes a run you think is going to be the run of your life is crap because you haven't eaten right or you've you know whatever. But um, yeah, I'm not sure, mate. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I totally agree. It was uh, a few years ago. I uh, flew down to Hobart and uh, I wanted to run from sea level up to the top of Mount Wellington and back down to sea level and flew in Friday night, had Friday night. Well, I think I got into like 10 o'clock at night, so I wasn't going to start then. And then Saturday, a massive storm blew in and it was huge. And there was no way I was heading out in that storm. Last thing I needed to be was rescued off the mountain. So yeah. Sunday morning I had to leave early to get the run in before I caught my flight back. And so, yes, yeah, so I ran up. Um, they'd closed the roads. It was like a foot of snow all the way to the top. Uh, when I got to the top, blowing a gale, lost my gloves, had to run with my hands in my pocket, in my down jacket. But it was awesome. And it, it was not at all how I expected it to go. <laughs> so. And, and yet, and yet it was, it was good though, right? You know, it was, it was oh, sort it was of, awesome. other, yeah, this brilliant. amazing spectrum of experience. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. You could run the, um, the goiter's line. You know, are you familiar with Goiter's line? No. Uh, it's, I mean, you could run sections of it. Um, you should Google it. It's basically the line that was surveyed by Goiter. Someone, I, I don't know, I don't know all the details, but basically, it's where the um, north of the line is essentially. It's a climactic line where the far south of the Goiter's line right across Australia was where there's vegetation and then north of it was where it became much more arid. Um, if you just do it, if you do a Google search for it, yeah, there's, it does pass partially through Victoria. Um, there's huge, huge chunks through South Australia and Western Australia and Queensland. So um, it's fascinating because I know here in South Australia, you, you get to, I mean, when you leave, you go north of Adelaide for a few hours and you cross over this line and it's real distinct the way the vegetation changes. And that's something that's always um, fascinated me. But, yeah, have a look. There at is a very distinct change in South Australia when you drive north. Yeah. No, it's um, – but that's just – there's. I guess there's no limitations. We live in such a big country, you know, like a, a, a big landmass, and there's so much more to explore. So, um, yeah, fascinating, mate. I just that's just my suggestion for you. Just I in. like it. No, I, I like that. I, I've already Googled it, mate. I'm onto it now. I'm having a look. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll start scripting it. In the credits. I'll do more All than right. that. You, you, you can come do chunks, I tell you oh, what. Sure. <laughs> oh, look, I'd love to. It's something, it's one of those things that just crosses through farms. And, you know, I know you do love a bit of a, um, a rogue run, jumping over people's fences and stuff. And because um, you've got to do what you've got to do. But I, even. Yeah, I mean, it's thousands of kilometres of, of um, yeah, of countryside to run through. And uh, you mentioned the Heisen Trail. There was a, because obviously that's here in South Australia too, 1,200 kilometres. A friend of mine did the fastest known time going, doing that. He ran from north to south, so 1,200 k's, and he did it in about, I think, 14 days. So absolutely just flew along there. 
And was that, that Richard? Was that Richard was that... Bowles? No, yeah. it was, uh, well, he David Trump, first. Yeah, yeah right. I don't know. Yeah, Richard Bowles is someone who I think you've probably got a lot in common with um, in terms of being a wild adventurer. But um, yeah, no, Dave Turnbull ran, did it. He beat Richard's time. Um, he was very much out to break the, the time, break the record. And so, mm. but I know that you know you're not after. I, I guess you're not after a good time. You're after a, a, an enjoyable time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't mind a bit of suffering along the way, but uh, yeah, yeah and, I, and I have fantasies of doing PBs and fast times again. But I just, yeah. you know, it takes a lot of time to to get down your times at this this age too, when you've got a full life and whatnot. And That's you blokes would know more about that than me. But and so you you kind of give up that ghost and think I'll do it differently rather than faster. Yeah, I think that's correct. You do it differently. Yeah. That's probably a good a good spot to end up. Do it Absolutely. differently. We Absolutely. look forward to more videos. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks, before fellas. We... Thanks for the chat. No, and just before we let you there, go. Gord is long. Go... Yeah, just up your Gord's line. No, Bo, can you just tell people where they can find you? Obviously, we know you're on YouTube because obviously we want people to follow you on YouTube so you can make enough money to make more videos, mate, because they're very interesting. So Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, God. I get I get enough flack on YouTube for so I, I take the, the compliments nowadays. I'm, it's that's nice. So it's nice to hear. Um, and I will continue to make them. Yeah, YouTube's the best go to. Just Bo Miles at YouTube, but Boisms uh, on Instagram as well. So Boisms, um, and then my website. Uh, you'll find find me really easy. So yeah, but YouTube and, and Insta is great. Excellent. No, awesome. I will encourage everyone to go and look it up. And, uh, yeah, learn some things about themselves, hopefully. Thanks, yeah. fellas. Thanks for the chat. No worries. Thank you very bro. much.